Welcome to the Museum of Femininity, a podcast where I, Charlotte Appleyard, discuss random topics of interest that relate to social history, art and material culture through a female lens. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the Museum of Femininity. In today's episode, we will be exploring the lives of two prominent female artists who were also founding members of the Royal Academy of Arts. They are Angelica Kaufman and Mary Moser. The Royal Academy was founded in 1768, with 36 founding members, including some of the most well-known British artists, such as Thomas Gainsborough, William Chambers and its first president, Joshua Reynolds. The purpose of the Academy was to promote art and design and hold regular exhibitions of the members' work. The original home of the Academy was in Pall Mall and was only 30 feet long. Clearly not large enough, in 1775 the palatial Somerset House was built, which in contrast had a ceiling that reached a staggering 32 feet in height alone. And at the time, this space was considered to be one of the finest picture galleries ever built. This was a very male-dominated environment and was highly traditional and serious in its teachings and devotion to classical principles. As an institution, it was definitely bound up in the societal expectations of the age as well. We will explore some of the ways in which this impacted Angelica Kaufman and Mary Moser during their time working and living in London. Angelica Kaufman was born in Cher, Switzerland in 1741. She came from an artistic family and was the daughter of Jan Joseph Kaufman, a portrait and fresco painter. Like many daughters of artists, she was trained from a young age and swiftly recognised as a talented prodigy. As well as being a skilled painter, Angelica was an accomplished singer and could speak four languages. In fact, Kaufman would later immortalise her struggle between art and music in her 1794 painting, Self-Portrait, Hesitating Between Painting and Music. Ultimately, art would triumph. Despite her young age, the 15-year-old Kaufman was taken quite seriously and was even brought in by her father to assist him in his professional work, supporting in the decoration of churches and the completion of several portraits. In 1762, Angelica accompanied her father to Florence and Rome, an important epicentre of the art world, as this was a period which saw a resurgence in the classical style known as neoclassicism. She did exceptionally well in this environment and was elected a member of the Roman Accademia di San Luca at the age of 23. This led to her frequently being commissioned by both people who lived in Rome and the wealthy young tourists who passed through while embarking on their grand tours. Kaufman was unique among female artists of this time due to the fact she gravitated towards history painting. This was a genre that was associated with male artists and has been considered as the pinnacle of art. 
These are the grand biblical scenes, great triumphant battles from history, or epic moments from Greek and Roman mythology. The types of themes explored by the truly great masters of the art world, which were revered throughout generations. Women tended to paint within the safe walls of more ladylike and restrained genres, like still lives or portrait painting. In 1765, Kaufman met the wife of an English diplomat who invited her to England. This indicated Kaufman's first step towards independence, as the following year she parted with her father for the first time and moved to London, where she would stay for 15 years. Angelica's success continued to grow as she established herself in British society, where she found plenty of work and gradually built substantial income. During this time, she met and developed a friendship with the leading portrait artist of the time, Joshua Reynolds. They had huge respect for each other and commemorated their relationship by painting each other's portraits. There were, in fact, whispers of an affair, despite the 18-year age gap. Kaufman evidently disapproved of such talk, as conveyed in 1775, when she prevented Nathaniel Hone's painting The Conjurer from being displayed at the summer exhibition, as it alluded to this rumour. She was probably too embarrassed to admit that this was the reason behind her objection, and instead protested the inclusion of a naked woman clad in black stockings dancing in the background. She wrote saying, quote, I have but one request to make, to send home my pictures, if that is to be exhibited, end quote, indicating that if the painting wasn't removed, she would remove her own work. This was a grave enough threat for them and highlights her importance in the academy, but also the misogyny, as such rumours should never have been stirred up and probably only were because of the novelty of her gender and just how unconventional her relationship was with Reynolds, because of course it's inconceivable that a man and woman could be artistic equals and friends without there being something else going on. Kaufman's life was not without drama. In 1767, she was tricked into marrying a bigamous fake count called Frederick de Horn, which was the type of scandal that could easily have destroyed her career, as she would have been bound to the social rules of her time despite being a wealthy and successful artist. It was discovered that the Count had assumed different identities and had wives across Europe. He was paid off by Angelica and her father, and the marriage was thankfully annulled. Just one year on, in 1768, the Royal Academy of Artists was founded with Angelica Kaufman and Mary Moser serving as the only female founding members. At the time, this would have been a huge achievement and a great symbol of Kaufman's success and eminence when she was alive. Upon opening, four of Kaufman's paintings were displayed, and in 1778 she received another commission to contribute four large allegorical paintings to adorn the walls of a newly designed lecture hall. This remains one of her greatest artistic outputs. They were four paintings representing the elements of the arts, invention, composition, design and colour. 
This represents Joshua Reynolds' theories in his Discourse on Art, given in a lecture at the Royal Academy and later published in 1788. In these works, we see female personifications of these elements, all elegant and strong figures reminiscent of Michelangelo. For design, we see a female artist dressed in work clothes and intently studying a classical cast of the Belvedere torso. Colour is also a very memorable work of art that was frequently copied, showing another female figure, eyes bright with inspiration as she energetically paints a rainbow of colour overhead. Although it is not uncommon to see female personifications, think of the virtues and graces, seeing them representing some of these themes would have been unusual, particularly practical things like composition, showing a woman holding a compass. Typically, this sort of personification would be male. In addition, other unique symbols include the use of the rainbow, as at this time, the rainbow was more commonly used to represent air in iconography, as well as the image of a woman drawing the male form, even if it is a sculpture. Although clearly a respected artist who did not shy away from non-feminine subjects matters, we should also acknowledge how this was not enough to completely eclipse the gender roles of the period and how Kaufman and Moser were perceived by their peers. One symbolic representation of this is in the painting by Jan Zoffany entitled The Academicians Contemplating the Male Nude, completed in 1772. Here the two female artists are only included among their peers as portraits hanging on the wall, as of course for reasons of decorum a lady could not be seen gazing at a nude figure. It is sad that even as a member, Kaufman was not permitted to attend life drawing classes, learning to capture the anatomy of the human body, which would have been essential for any artist focusing on history painting. Despite this, Kaufman embraced the genre, which although was a historically masculine genre, she approached from a female perspective, favouring women protagonists from classical sources. For example, instead of focusing on the hero of the Odyssey, she painted his wife, Penelope, working at her loom in 1764. Kaufman always painted women sympathetically, championing all the positive qualities of her sex, reinterpreting traditional male-told stories through an empathetic female lens. For example, in Ulysses on the island of Circe, uh, which was painted in 1793, she recasts Homer's seductive and dangerous sorceress into a helpful hostess, which completely reevaluates the well-trodden female archetype of the sort of femme fatale. By this point, she was extremely comfortable financially and clearly had the freedom to pursue her own projects, dabbling in painting, book illustrations, miniature painting, and devising decorative interiors, including for places like Montague House, which was located in Portman Square. Her notoriety and popularity is perhaps best summed up by a quote from the Danish ambassador in London, who said, 
quote. The whole world is Angelica mad, end quote. Kaufman's time in London came to a close in 1781 when she married the Venetian painter Antonio Zucci. Following this, she lived in Italy, moving between Venice, Rome and Naples. By now she was famous throughout Europe, a fact emphasised by the numerous engravings and copies that have been produced of her work. In 1795, Napoleon invaded Italy, making it difficult for Kaufman to secure foreign commissions, slowing down her output considerably. Despite this, she remained an important figure in Roman society, hosting many aristocrats in her studio, which became something of a hub on account of all the languages she spoke. So, sadly, Kaufman passed away in 1807, leaving behind a staggering 500 paintings, around 200 of which are traceable today. She is also one of the most important figures of the neoclassical movement. Her funeral was organised by the sculptor Antonio Canova, who modelled the ceremony on Raphael's death celebration and was attended by numerous artists who belonged to the many academies Kaufman belonged to. So now we move on to Mary Moser, who was born in 1744. She had many similarities to Angelica Kaufman, as well as many differences. She was the daughter of a Swiss goldsmith, medalist and enameler called George Michael Moser, who also nurtured her artistic talents that started to emerge from a young age. Moser won her first medal from the Society of Arts at the age of 14, and these were detailed and closely observed flower drawings. As we have previously discussed, she was also a founding member of the Royal Academy and joined at the young age of 24, along with her father, making them the first of many child and parent duos to hold the distinguished title of Royal Academician. As we have alluded to, Moser was extremely skilled at painting flower portraits, and although she did also paint portraits and historical subjects, this is what she is perhaps best remembered for, so more of the feminine, traditionally feminine style of painting in comparison to Angelica Kaufman. Moser's style is highly reminiscent of hyper-realistic Dutch still-life paintings with very dark backgrounds and luminous, colourful flowers that seem to pop from the canvas. Her floral arrangements drew the attention of royalty with many commissions. She was also appointed drawing mistress for Princess Elizabeth, but her most notable royal commission, however, was from Queen Charlotte, in the 1790s, who hired her to decorate a room at Frogmore House, creating an illusion of an arbour in the sky. This was quite a prestigious commission, and Moser was paid a whopping £900 for her work. The room was likely where the Queen and her daughters would sit and draw, which was considered to be a great accomplishment for any well-bred young lady. Moser was incredibly skilled and many of her creations were deeply 
intricate and complex, adorning large canvases and painted walls, all depicting the beauty of the English flower. Mary Moser had a lively personality and could hold her own well among artistic circles in London, building an excellent reputation as an intellectual. William Chambers once said, quote, she understands and has read so much. Soon she became a favourite visitor in his household. In 1793, at the relatively older age of 49, Moser married Captain Hugh Lloyd. Adopting his surname, she continued to exhibit at the Royal Academy until 1802, when her eyesight started to fail. Undeterred, she became more involved in academy affairs, but unfortunately, as a woman, she was prevented from attending academy dinners and meetings, but was allowed to attend general assembly meetings in the 1790s and early 1800s, and must have had some influence as she put forward Henry Fuseli as a candidate to replace Benjamin West as president in 1805. We have previously talked about the Zoffany painting with Moser and Kaufman depicted as barely eligible portraits on the wall. In fact, artist Henry Singleton painted another group portrait set in one of these assemblies where the women actually feature in the room. Painted in 1794, we see a large group of white, distinguished gentleman artists conversing beneath the auspicious eyes of another classical masterpiece, the Laocoon, again highlighting the Academy's devotion to the purity of the past and Greek and Roman culture. In a shadowy corner of the room, we see Kaufman and Moser passively watching the scene unfold, Although slightly better than Zophany's attempt, they still seem quite isolated from the rest of the group and not at all active in the discussion itself, which contradicts what we know about them as people and committed members of the Academy. Unfortunately, Mary Moser's life seemed to have scant documentation in comparison to her male counterparts, and I struggled to find detailed information about her time in the Academy. She died in 1819 at the age of 74, so she lived to a ripe old age and her legacy was intact and she remained greatly respected and, of course, a huge part of the history of British art. We have established that Kaufman and Moser were not exactly treated equally with the other academicians and were omitted from certain functions and classes, despite also receiving important commissions. So why were they allowed to join to begin with, if the idea of a female artist was such a conundrum for some? Unfortunately, there is little concrete evidence, which has inevitably caused some speculation about whether male members complained or objected to their inclusion. It has been suggested that Kaufman may have been chosen for her continental cachet and her already strong reputation, which had been built during her time in Italy and through her many early commissions from well-to-do members of British society. Furthermore, she was one of the pioneers of the burgeoning neoclassical movement. Moser similarly had good credentials and court favour 
which would have made her difficult to exclude. There was also no rules existing that stated women could not join. It was something that was assumed for how could a woman possibly become a member. The superiority and dominance of men was so deeply ingrained in society, we see this type of thing quite often. This presumption that women would not want or could not take part in certain activities. For example, it was not until the Great Reform Act of 1832 that women were specifically banned from the vote. When you consider this, gender roles clearly became more codified in law into the 19th century, which may have made it more difficult for women to establish themselves in institutions like this. In fact, it would not be until 1932 that we would see another female painter, Dame Laura Knight, being given the title of Royal Academician, which highlights the vast gulf of time where few women were able to elevate themselves into the heart of the British art scene. In conclusion, I think this is a fascinating window into the art world of the 18th century and the role women played in the founding and early days of the Royal Academy. I think Angelica Kaufman was a remarkable woman of her time, hugely talented and ambitious. She soared to great heights due to her talent and hard work, but also, I expect, the early intervention and encouragement from her father. Moser, too, probably benefited from her artistic legacy, and... It is so rare to find a woman artist in these centuries who has not come from a wealthy family of painters and artists. However, I do not think this privilege should detract from their achievements because to rise to the heights of the Royal Academy at such young ages was a huge accomplishment in a time when women of their class were so often sheltered and held back from following individual pursuits and dreams. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please find the sources in the show notes and accompanying images on Instagram, which you can follow at the Museum of Femininity. I've gone off schedule once again, but hope to get back on track soon with the next episode in our marriage series, which will explore marriage during the Tudor era. I hope to see you there.